what what is it that enables us to move towards taking on being a Buddha or as one of my Burmese teachers said what makes us or what makes one a true heir of the Buddha there's a phrase that the Buddha used quite often ehipasika come and see ehipasika this is an invitation from the Buddha to come and see not to come and believe but to come and see for ourselves ourselves what's true to come and see in this way requires a great interest willingness and courage which includes a growing faith that blossoms out of our own experience an interest willingness and courage to look directly deeply and honestly into the body the heart and the mind with humility and without relying on what others say is true through what we've heard or what we've read in books to come and see in this way requires that we don't settle into the inertia of our habitual perceptions of our relationships to or our identifications with our inner and outer experiences this interest willingness and courage is really the process or the quality these qualities that keep practice alive from the very beginning of our practice and ongoing through all of the years of our practice with this evening's talk we'll explore the discerning aspect of mindfulness the aspect of mindfulness that's fueled by the buddha's invitation ehipasika which is the second factor of enlightenment investigation or discrimination of states mindfulness is needed in all instances and as the buddha said as is a seasoning of salt in all sauces mindfulness is a refuge for the heart a refuge for the mind and the factor through the whole of our practice that affords us our greatest protection as i've mentioned a couple of times investigation discrimination of states both bodily and mental states is the activity of mindfulness it illuminates the object we see the object of our mindfulness clearly 
Investigation has the potential to penetrate and illumine things, to light up bodily and mental experiences right into their core, showing us both their individual characteristics and their universal essence or ultimate reality. This factor of enlightenment has the potential to dispel darkness, the darkness of not seeing, the darkness of ignoring how it is. Investigation eliminates bewilderment and confusion, the not seeing, the not knowing of delusion and ignorance. It's like walking into a pitch dark room with a very bright flashlight. When things are brightly lit, what's already present is then clearly seen, is known, and confusions dispelled. In our practice, investigation means that we experience directly without the mediation of concept. So, for example, and this can be a metaphor for any internal physical phenomena or movement of the body or any object that the eye, the eye door contacts, which uh, we'll be moving towards with our seeing and drawing, or for any state of mind. So, for instance, a breath is known. And maybe you see it and know it at the level of simply knowing in, knowing out, which is actually still based in the world of concept. Investigation, we could say, without putting on the glasses, the metaphorical glasses. And then you put on the glasses and directly begin to know a long breath, a short breath, deep or shallow breath. You may connect simply and directly with the movement of the breath at the nostrils or in the belly, experiencing the touch sensation in the space between the nostrils and the upper lip or the rising and falling sensation of the movement of the breath in the belly. So beginning now then to move from conceptualizing the breath to direct experience. And then you look through the microscope with the lowest power lens. The Maybe the whole in-breath is felt and known from beginning to end. And you feel and know the whole out-breath from its beginning all the way to its end. And maybe, much to your surprise, you find out that each in-breath and each out-breath isn't necessarily the smooth, ongoing experience that you've been used to. Even though it might be quite subtle, you begin to feel and know it very clearly as happening in tiny segments. In, 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 out, 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 out. Rather than as a smooth flow. As you come closer, 
getting more intimate with the experience of breath, you begin to see it as just simply happening in its own way without you controlling it. The heart, mind, and body are relaxed and very interested in what's occurring, not thinking about it, just simply present, receptive, and interested. As you relax more, the interest growing even brighter, the microscope's lens powers up, and the idea, the concept of breath, falls away. The mind is settled and collected. Potential distractions have little or no attraction. The subtle sensation just below the nostrils or the rising and falling movement in the belly is very clearly felt and known. With maybe the most predominant experience being a particular flavor of vibration with each movement of the breath. Who's breathing? Who's moving? (coughs) Who's seeing? (coughs) Breath isn't what you thought it was, at least in the moments that you've stopped thinking about it and are just simply directly and mindfully present clearly discerning the experience with a deep and complete trust that in those moments there's a trust that this is just enough. Nothing else needs to be done. The mind, the heart is open, receptive, spacious, and at ease in this direct and simple connection to experience. And the way of things reveals itself quite naturally. This is our practice. This is our training. I'd like to spend a bit of time now exploring the creative process as practice with mindfulness and investigation being the root from which the beautiful blossoms of wisdom and creative expression in its myriad myriad manifestations uh, come from. Creative process is potentially a vehicle for peeling away the layers of our habitual conditioned perceptions and reactions. And a vehicle that has great potential for the revealing the interdependent and selfless nature of all physical and mental phenomena. So for instance, whether it be the immediacy and spontaneity of moment-to-moment creative visceral response through the moving body, or via receiving what is seen without interposing the self, contacting things directly, letting the hand and the pencil follow what the eye sees 
without the thought of making a picture or being creative or trusting the process of thoughts and words arising as though from nowhere from no one and letting writing flow from this empty space The creative process is about forgetting what we've previously learned, which is a necessary step in responding more directly and seeing more precisely. Part of moving, seeing, and drawing, and writing is forgetting. By that I mean forgetting what we know about the subject, what we've been taught, or what we think we know about drawing, or what we think we know about writing, or how we should or shouldn't move the body. This kind of forgetting stops the mind from knowing in its habitual conditioned ways. At this point, one is confronted, we could say, with the object itself. And one's usual way of knowing is arrested. The heart, the mind, is open, receptive, appreciative, able to respond to the inner voice, we could say, the tone, the shape, the texture, with a very genuine authority and at the same time autonomy. What keeps this open-hearted being in the presence of, what keeps it from happening? One artist's reply was the fear of losing control. I think that many people experience not knowing as feeling dumb, which we don't like. We don't like to feel dumb. (laughs) But some of the most extraordinary experiences that I've had in which the truth was shown, revealed to me, all had this quality of bearing witness of simply being there, being here with tremendous and yet relaxed, very relaxed interest. A very open-hearted, connected, mindful attention and discernment couched in humility and no need to make meaning. In our practice, and this includes the creative process as practice, until we can suspend the need for meaning, we actually can't experience direct insight, direct revelation, we could say. We can't experience direct wisdom.
though there's an ancient and subconscious, we could say, urge for creative life and a very innate inventiveness in every single one of us from our very beginnings, it's not so easy to be unarmed, to be without our habitual ways and self-centered identification. Fear can very often kind of leap up in us. And so we train the heart, we train the mind slowly and with great care to see clearly and let go. To let go and see clearly. The writer and poet Rilke exhorts us to return to things themselves. But I think for many of us, the way to them can be quite difficult as we're faced with our self, our seemingly set and solid self. It seems that we're kind of overtrained regarding ourselves. We're usually the center of our attention. And so it's very difficult to come and see, as the Buddha invites us, beyond our notion of a self. Engaging in the creative process with joyful interest and an open-hearted mindfulness can really be a wonderful vehicle towards freeing up honesty, authenticity, and the essence of creative energy, which creates the conditions that allow direct insight or direct revelation of the insight into the way of things. I've learned a a lot from children in this area, this area of creativity. In my early 30s, I I taught uh, at an alternative school for quite a number of years. I taught art. And the five to eight-year-olds loved painting. And sometimes I would ask them to paint in relationship to a particular theme. But often it was just free expression painting. And one morning when I was walking around looking and commenting on paintings in process and uh, those that were already finished, one little boy said to me, you always like all our paintings, how come? (laughs) This little boy noticed something and he asked the right question. Children, as I'm sure many of you know, uh, sometimes have a way of saying things that just stops us in our tracks. So he asked me this question. You always like our paintings, all our paintings. How come? And I thought, yes, I do. How come? (laughs) 
and I don't remember it was a long time ago I don't remember exactly what I said to him but something about honesty and expressing expressing from the inside and how could I not feel anything but appreciation I could ask questions and occasionally make suggestions but there wasn't anything to dislike or to feel critical about because what each person painted was their honest expression at that moment and this little fellow seemed to understand what I was saying and he shook his head up and down as I was talking (laughs) and he just gave me this great big beaming smile as adults can we be so unarmed in our creative expression while at the same time being mindful and seeing clearly receptive to the right answers that show up to our perennial questions regarding the way towards being really truly happy and at ease in this life can we be so unarmed so as to allow the life force within us to catalyze into creative life with purity and intensity devoid of any personal pride no conceit no arrogance and be what we are as our birthright one of the creative endeavors that's been part of my life off and on over the years since my early 20s is the making of portrait sculpture with a particular person being the live model for each piece of work and this work has been a very deep and powerful direct practice and a metaphor for practice for me particularly in relationship to the cultivation of mindfulness discernment effort joy tranquility concentration and understanding or wisdom which are in fact the seven factors of enlightenment so just to share a a little of this um, as I think it might be useful a useful illustration in in the context of this retreat in order to create a likeness of a person in clay a tremendous depth of mindful investigation needs to take place ahead its shape the neck and shoulders the face how to see it as a whole and then know it both in its wholeness and in its particulars so that the seeing and the knowing can transfer through the eyes mind heart 
and body out through the hands and the fingers into the clay. Um, a daunting and actually impossible task if one doesn't begin to see what one is looking at as simply hundreds, thousands of relationships that are actually changing with each angle of seeing. And so, to elaborate a little bit on that, as the subject's head and face begins to break down into a series of relational forms, forms that exist only in relationship to each other, forms that exist only in spatial relationship to each other, there's no head, no face, no person as we ordinarily know it. There are just a series of relationships to be known. It's actually a very intimate process. Much, much more so than if I just keep looking at the whole form. The completely unique characteristics of the face in front of me become very clearly and very deeply known. But not as any in any fixed or separate entity kind of way. And the universals of all human faces become known quite intimately. At the same time, the concepts of solidity, fixedness, separateness lose their habitual potency and actually quite thoroughly fall away at times. What is this nose, this eye, this chin? Any nose, any eye, any chin. Seeing and knowing through the microscope of an open-hearted and deeply connected mindful investigation from revolving angles, moment to moment to moment. Seeing and knowing the space between the inner corner of an eye in relationship to the downward slope of the eye's lower edge, in relationship to the bulging curvature of the eyeball as it rounds out to touch the outer edge and corner of the skin around the eye, and on and on and on. Thousands of interrelated relationships. With all of this seeing and knowing coming out of my fingers and forming the clay, little by little by little. And as though magically, a face emerges out of the clay. A face that bears a likeness and projects, even projects some of the quality of the liveliness of this human being sitting in front of me. It's actually not so easy to um, render this creative process into words. So I hope uh, it's been at least somewhat communicated and helpful to you.
inside practice itself is an art and in many ways very close to the creative process as we continue to continue discovering as this retreat continues to unfold during one particular time that I was uh, deeply immersed in the sculpture work I went to see a movie uh, at a movie theater and I was uh, quite struck that evening by all of the faces of all of the people in the lobby each one having all the same equipment (laughs) noses, eyes, mouths, cheeks, chins, foreheads, etc. And yet each person's face being totally unique, just based on the tiny nuances of nuances of how all the parts were interrelated. My awareness that evening at the movies, just jumping back and forth, back and forth, seeing the diversity in the unity or the diversity in the one and the unification or the one in all of the diversity. They weren't separate that evening. In the Avatamsaka Sutra, the flower ornament sutra, which is revered as a treasure of sensual imagery and considered uh, to be the highest teaching of the Buddha in Chinese Mahayana Buddhism, There's a short section in this sutra that elaborates on my very brief and very small experience that I just shared with you. And this is from the sutra. The Bodhisattva sees the interdependent nature of all things, sees in one dharma all dharmas, sees in all dharmas the one dharma, sees the multiplicity in the one and the one in the multiplicity, sees the one in the immeasurable and the immeasurable in the one, the immeasurable meaning the indescribable, the flow, the process of life as it unfolds. And this little section of the sutra goes on to say, birth and existence of all dharmas is of a changing nature and thus unreal and cannot touch the enlightened ones the nature of things quite naturally reveals itself it's not hidden We enter into the mystery through the intimacy of our practice rather than staying at a distance, rather than staying separate from it. In very precise and sometimes minute ways or at times through a more spacious, less precise mode of mindfulness and investigation, we come to know the not-self, the not-separate, the non-dual nature of things. Anything. 
all things, ordinary things. For a moment we touch into the absolute truth of the relative world. And it makes a difference in how we live our life. Mindfulness, investigation, and discernment are our guides through what at times may feel like an impenetrable forest of experience. And as we all know, life can be challenging and difficult at times. Practice can be challenging and difficult at times. Certainly not uh, new news to any of you. (laughs) Along the way, we find that it takes a deep willingness and a certain courage to traverse this path of awakening. People sometimes describe their experience at particular points along the way of the path as feeling as though they're a spiritual warrior. I think that many of us, much of the time, uh, view experiences and view our life as a string of blessings or a string of curses. Through our practice, as our life as our practice, we learn not to get caught up in the attachment to blessings and the aversion to curses. With practice as the ground of our life, we can learn how to view and relate to life actually as a continual opportunity to deepen our practice and to deepen our understanding. With all of it, affording us the amazing opportunity of awakening. And I think for many as many of us, if we're really truly candid, we may occasionally feel like a spiritual warrior in the process. So a very mundane example of this. A few years ago, it became clear that I needed to... Um, have an old filling removed and a crown put on this same molar. So maybe from one point of view, a curse. I happen to be uh, severely allergic to a number of local anesthetics. So Novocaine or any other local anesthetic used for dental work is not for me. So maybe another curse from a particular point of view. But I have a deep and a strong practice, which is definitely a blessing from any point of view. (laughs) So the appointment with the dentist was quite a challenge. The challenge of continually relaxing and staying open to the experience of the moment. Focusing and connecting with all that was going on in my mouth and Noticing the constant change of each sensation. Sometimes a very, very strong, intense sensation. Sometimes a more mild sensation. And being present with whatever sensation it was, from its beginning all the way through to its end. As soon as I would lose my concentration, mindfulness, and my clarity of discernment, 
ignorance immediately would move in. So what was merely unpleasant, which was most of what it was, I mean, there wasn't very much pleasant, but what was merely unpleasant quickly turned into a very strong disliking in the mind. And then the moment verged on becoming an unbearable moment. There was a moment when I completely lost the concentrated mindful connection to what was occurring in my mouth and my body jerked very, very strongly in in reaction to a particular sensation which uh, surprised the dentist because I'd been sitting very calmly up until that moment and it was a wake-up bell for me, a very important wake-up bell. And in moments it was uh, a surprise to me how easy it was to just be there. As long as I was clearly and purely present just with what was happening. Time lost its ordinary parameters just like it sometimes does with intensive retreat practice. I wasn't waiting for the end of anything. In fact, there were surprising moments of feeling feeling like, oh, I could just be here forever and that would be okay. Truthfully, I did feel that. (laughs) It was all okay. So what's a curse? What's a blessing? As our practice takes deeper and deeper root, its blessings begin to permeate all corners of our life. Mindfulness and investigation of states grounded in interested and open-hearted non-judgmental receptivity are our guide through what at times might feel like an impenetrable forest of experience. We can't expect or depend on something outside of our own mind and heart or for someone else to do it for us the invitation again from the Buddha is ehipasika come and see when we connect and see clearly the next step is right in front of us one step at a time so a personal experience a real experience that's kind of metaphorical in in a way. Um, One autumn morning some years ago, I went for a day-long hike uh, with a friend up into the mountains here in the Towski Valley. And my hiking buddy is uh, a longtime Dharma practitioner. And so we like to hike in silence. And we usually walk alone along the trail, not uh, far behind each other or in front of each other. And often we speak only during rest breaks and during our lunch, lunchtime. Hiking days like this for me and for my friend are some of our most treasured non-retreat practice times. There's a very deep and connected relationship through 
all of the sense doors to the surrounding world to our bodily sensations and movement and to the feelings and the various states of mind that come up uh, in the heart and the mind as we make our way up along the trail so this particular day as we were wending our way up through this uh, Rocky Mountain landscape two young people uh, quite young came up behind us moving very fast actually almost running up the mountain and each of them had um, a small yellow object in their hand which they were uh, quite intently holding out in front of them uh, as they were walking fast running up the mountain and so we exchanged cursory hellos and I asked them as they were flying by (laughs) what the yellow object was and I was told it was a GPS as if I would know what it was which I didn't (laughs) Uh, this was before the GPS's were so um, popular and used in lots of different ways and these folks were in such a hurry that there was no opportunity to ask them what's a GPS but my friend uh, that I was hiking with knew a little bit about it and she said it's an instrument that uh, tells you where you are (laughs) and as soon as she said this where you did what you were doing we laughed we started laughing and we laughed and laughed really hard uh, in kind of amazement the experience really tickled us and uh, my friend said to me that's why some Native Americans think some of us non-natives are so silly in some ways because we don't know where we are (laughs) so just to mention that here in Taos uh, there's a large Native American population which is an integral and reflective aspect of life uh, for many of us non-natives who live here and I, I told one of my students who was a Native American, a very close student of mine, and she laughed when I said that. She said, that's true. <laughs> you don't know where you are sometimes. We do. <laughs> so that particular day, my friend and I, as we were walking, we were very connected with what was happening and really knowing over and over and over again in so many different ways and on so many different levels where we were the intermediary of a global positioning system as GPS's are called seemed very very silly to us at that point and in that setting and this is a poem uh, called Lost by David Wagner stand still The trees ahead and the bushes beside you are not lost. Wherever you are is called here, and you must treat it as a powerful stranger, must ask permission to know it and be known. The forest breathes. Listen. It answers, I have made this place around you. If you leave it, you may come back again, saying, here. No two trees are the same to raven. No two branches are the same to wren. 
If what a tree, a bush does is lost on you, you are surely lost. Stand still. The forest knows where you are. You must let it find you. So, again, Ehi Pasika, come and see, come and see for yourself. The Buddha, with his great clarity and compassion, spoke about what he called the nutriment for the arising development, fulfillment, and perfection of this enlightenment factor of investigation. He said that we must give a wise and careful attention to both beneficial and unbeneficial states. Beneficial states such as loving-kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, equanimity, as well as to the so-called hindrances, sleepiness, restlessness, the wanting mind, the aversive mind, the doubting mind, He said that it's essential that we give this wise and careful attention to states of suffering, to the cause of suffering itself, and to the end of suffering. And again and again, the Buddha directs us towards seeing and knowing the particular individual essences of both beneficial or wholesome and unbeneficial or unwholesome states as well as seeing the universal characteristics of all states of body and mind. The the universal characteristics being the essential unsatisfactoriness, the impermanence, changing nature, and the selfless, empty nature of all mental and bodily experiences. This is the primary nutriment for the arising development, fulfillment, and perfection of this factor of investigation. And investigation is primarily what counters delusion, what counters ignorance. And the Buddha goes on and tells us that we should ask appropriate questions and that it's helpful to reflect on the real possibility of deep understanding. We're encouraged to associate with people who have understanding. And it's suggested that we don't spend too much time with those who don't have understanding. The Buddha spoke in a beautiful way about the internal purification of the heart and mind as being like the light of a lamp's flame that arises with a clean lamp bowl, wick and oil as its support. And that bodily and mental formations become evident and clear to one who tries to comprehend them with a purified base, as he called it. A mind that's cleansed through moral integrity, the moral integrity of sila and the purification of mind and heart that's 
that the development of concentration, samadhi, facilitates. Balancing our faculties of faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration and understanding will nurture investigation. And at some point, we may find that we would like to make a resolve to incline the mind, incline the heart towards these first two factors of enlightenment, the factors of mindfulness and investigation. Clear discrimination of bodily and mental states is a requisite for awakening, a requisite for the arising of wisdom. So in this light, the particular factor of investigation is spoken of as the wisdom factor. Japanese philosopher and teacher Yanagi, from his book, The Way of Tea, speaks about this in a very lucid and succinct way. He says, they saw. Before all else they saw, they were able to see. Ancient mysteries flew from this wellspring of seeing. The difference between the person with a mind unconsciously steeped in me, mine, and I, and the one who lives sees and knows through a mind steeped in mindful awareness is that within the narrowness of the mind that's steeped in me, mine, and I there's a strong and sticky identification with all of the hopes and fears that arise which is a very painful place to live one's life from. When the heart, the mind, is steeped in the factors of mindfulness and investigation, one isn't very often caught or thrown off or ruffled or confused by inner and outer events. We see what is. We know it beyond the seeming appearances. We aren't caught nearly as often by hopes and fears in relationship to the moment's experiences. They come, and we let them go. Our practice affords us the great potential gift of not clinging, not being identified with and attached to experiences all of the time. What is, is just what is moment to moment to moment more and more often the direct investigation and discrimination of states is what brings the deepest understanding otherwise our understanding is based only on the intellect it's merely cerebral understanding a kind of imaginary understanding
And as I'm sure each of you knows, at least some of the time, it's impossible to think our way out of tension, to think our way out of stress, to think our way out of confusion. It's impossible to think our way out of suffering. And it's impossible to think our way into truly letting go. We can't think our way to freedom. Awakening is beyond or beneath the intellect. It's beyond or beneath concept. So how can we possibly use concept to get there? When insight is born, when understanding is born, it's deep and integrated and simple. It's cellular, as someone once described their experience to me. The great Indian teacher, Nisargadatta Maharaj, tells us the mind, the thinking mind, is interested in what happens, while mindful awareness is interested in the mind, the heart. The child is after the toy, but the mother watches the child, not the toy. With investigation, we move out of the dark and come into the light, the light of wisdom. In reference to his own enlightenment, the Buddha said, the eye is born, knowledge was born, wisdom was born, understanding was born, light was born. As you sit, walk, eat, do your yogi job, and learn to simply and easily just let the body move. Spend time truly seeing, which leads to the capacity to draw, and open-heartedly write your way through this retreat. Rather than being caught up in old conditioned and sometimes very unskillful habits, mindfulness, investigation, and clear discernment provide the best medicine for the great gift of engagement at its very best. Creative expression that occurs quite purely from our personal experience are expressions of our humanness, expressions of our perceptions of reality, beautiful or otherwise, spontaneous expression of feeling, or reflection of insight, understanding, or work, creative work that in some way honestly conveys the freedom of searching for oneself without having to find any particular answer. All are part of the path towards reaching and understanding the essence of our beingness, 
the truth of ourself. Even if in the process of creation we aren't aware or aren't conscious of any of these possibilities. Creating out of emptiness the thread of self, of ego, having been pulled out. Creative expression flowing freely, spontaneously. As awakening beings, we're moving towards our inheritance from the Buddha by simply becoming a real human being. A description that one of my teachers uses for one who's awake. By simply becoming a real human being. And this is really the greatest gift that we can offer in this world. closing the talk this evening with a poetic teaching from the Buddha it's called a single excellent night let me not revive the past or on the future build my hopes for the past past has been left behind and the future has not been reached Instead, with insight, let me see each presently arisen state. Let me know that and be sure of it, invincibly, unshakably. Today, the effort must be made. Tomorrow, death may come. Who knows? No bargain with mortality can keep him and his hordes away. But one who dwells thus ardently, relentlessly, by day, by night, it is in her and him the peaceful sage has said, who has had a single excellent night. And let's just sit silently for a couple of moments. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.